Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Hey, what's rule number one? What's rule number one? Party. No, not party. No, it's not party. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast, Boots on the Ground number four. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Aaron. Yes, sir. How about a nice piece of cold steel in your pocket? Oh, absolutely. Well, then send them an email to marketing at axontire.com and they'll send you a free Free. 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 Shipping and everything's free. Zero dollars. Zero dollars, right? Zero dollars. Send an email to marketingaxontire.com and you will get a uh, really cool Alliance branded uh, pocket knife and just send an email to marketing at marketing. I'm from the, <laughs> I'm from the East Coast. So it's in marketing. <laughs> marketing. Just in case you're a bastard. <laughs> get in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> marketingaxontire.com and uh they'll send you what you uh what you want so bad is that nice pocket knife is that, that so that's an alliance tire branded pocket knife is right. that an r1 pocket knife or an r2 i think it's more r3 oh you're looking for that nice so, multi-purpose multi-purpose you can do a lot of different stuff with it maybe but, an r4 yeah yeah it could be little could bite be. but easy on the grass that's right low vibratory Ooh, you know what I mean? Damn. You like them apples. That is heavy. Right. There we go. All right. So, want that pocket knife? Go to marketingaxontire.com and you get yourself a uh, sweet deal there. Just send your details to them and they will ship it out to you. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker to 800 657 4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. <laughs> No matter how you buy equipment from a dealer auction or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance you. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. More information, go to uh, agdirect.com and you get all your financing options there. So Aaron, how you been this week, man? I have been fantastical. Have you? Not really. It was cold. It snowed. It, well, it snowed. We got, I mean, we got, it might be muddy Sunday. Yeah. Until like noon. I walked outside and I'm like, there's. Someone told me about this once. I think they call it precipitation. <laughs> yeah. I think is this what moisture is? Yeah. So we got we got a little moisture here, got a little snow on the ground, and we have uh supposedly we got a little we got a big warm front coming through, but for a day. For a day, two days. And then it drops off pretty quick. And then we should have another round of this again. It sounds like 
We had a nice April in January and February. We really did. Yeah. So I'm glad January showed up in March. The cool thing about the panhandle is it goes summer, spring, winter, (laughs) fall. You know what I mean? Right. It's kind of things are kind of kind of backwards, but early fall, middle of winter, summer. Exactly. That's exactly exactly right. That is exactly right. And that's all March 1st to April 15th. Yeah. So you get you get a lot of fun stuff that way. Yeah. Flip side of that is. Now that we've got this going into into planting season, we got to get some field work done. Got to get a few things done. Knock on wood, we get a little more of the snow in into into March, and hopefully by April we got an opportunity to to really. Let's, let's hope she's coming. Yeah, the two footer, buddy. We need we need we need, we need, one we of need those, the two footer. We need one of those. Uh, I think the first year that I moved back out here in the month of April, seventeen. It yeah, I think it was April. So it would have been April eighteen. Yeah, it was April. Yeah. And it snowed every Sunday in April. Yes. Correct. Six inches of slush. Because we talked yeah. about it on the cast. Yeah. That's so, so good times. Good things to think about there. So that was a really wet year. It really was. That really was. 20 and 21 were not. Not so much. No. Not so much. So we have a uh, really cool guest uh, here with us saying um, Tim uh, is a listener of the show and he uh, reached out to us from uh, from Australia. He's from the land down under, you know. And uh, what Tim does really nicely is that he feeds me my lottery tickets numbers because he's a day ahead of us. So I got all these lottery tickets. I get these numbers, and then he sends them to me. So, so Tim, how you doing, man? Yeah, good. Thanks, Casey and Aaron. How are you guys? Good. Happy Happy Saturday in the future. Yeah. So what's yeah. Saturday like? <laughs> Uh, it's a little cool down here. Um, is it? Which is, uh, yeah, yeah, which is unseasonable for this time of year. Um, but, uh, you yeah, know, it uh, should be a good day. It's a Saturday. Right. Right on. So, Australia, totally different time frame here. It's winter time here. So, it's it's springtime, going into springtime, or actually going into summertime uh, in Australia. And, and so, I guess, talk a little bit about. Uh, we're going. We're going into fall. Oh, fall. Yeah, fall. Yeah, we're going fall. I can't even get it. I can't even get it. You flush the toilet, goes back because everything's different, man. I, I, I'm so screwed <laughs> up. Well, that, that's because we're kind of almost spring here. That's right. But everything's white outside. So. Yeah, that's that's true. So there's that. So so Tim reached out to us and he said, Hey, you know what, man? I got I got this great, great idea that I'm I'd love to be talk to you guys about what we're doing in Australia. And uh, I was like, man, that'd be awesome. And this actually plays out pretty well. It's what we're gonna talk about this week. So, uh, Tim, talk a little bit about yourself, a little bit about the dealership you work for, and uh, a little bit about your background and, and how you got to where you're at. Uh, yeah, so thanks, Casey. Um, I've been involved in agriculture all my life, grew up on a family farm. Uh, I went to, um, I studied um, agriculture at university. Um, I worked, spent a lot of years driving tractors, worked in the cotton industry in Australia, um, and I actually spent some time in the US uh, doing working for a custom harvester. Worked for Wrights out of um, out of Sydney and Bridgeport, uh, and then I came back and got involved in sales in farm equipment. So I worked for I worked for a John Deere dealer down south um, by the name of Hutchin and Pierce. I spent three years with those guys, uh, and then I moved to up to where I am now. Uh, so. And I worked for a company called Chesterfield Australia, um, which is located in Dubbo. Now, Dubbo is about 400 k's west of of Sydney. And in this area, we have a lot of dry land, uh, 
and dryland cereal crops as well as irrigated cotton further west of here. Um, I worked for an auction company for about two and a half years and I, whilst I enjoyed it, the ag was just too strong and I now um, sales manager for Case IH dealership where, which by the name of uh, Three Rivers Machinery, we have three stores, one in Narromine, one in Warren and one in Gilgandra. Uh, and we cover quite a diverse range of crops, uh, being dryland cereals, um, irrigated cotton. Um, when we do have the uh, have the water, so yeah, cool. All right, so geographically, like you talked to where you're at from Sydney. So talk a little bit about the landscape where you're at. Are you in an area that is uh, drier, you know, dry kind of arid type of climate? Or are you in a place that gets lots of rain? Talk talk a little bit about that. So we're we're in an area that. Um, uh, we call it temperate. Yes, we get uh, we get winds. We do, it doesn't snow where we are. About 150 k's, 75 miles east of here, it does snow, but doesn't snow for long um, where we are. And we have very hot summers, so it's nothing to be well over um, well over 100 for weeks on end during our summers. Um, and our winters would be probably in the 40s. That oh. would be about as cold as it gets. So, tremendous. How do you, how do you handle uh, it? Uh, we have good air conditioning systems. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. What we call cold is nothing to what you guys call cold. Right. Um, and and rainfall wise, we're probably our rainfall ranges from anywhere from um, about twenty inches of rain to about. We've got guys farming on 14 inches of rain. So that's so, decent because yeah. we're, we're in an area where we're what, 13, 15? I mean, yeah, for supposedly. If we turn what the garden hose. Right, yeah. what we're supposed to get. Right. Yeah, we, we, um, I, think we're, I think we average somewhere between like, I think it's 13 to 18 inches or something like that. I think like the valley might be like 17. I know up here we're 13 and good luck. <laughs> yeah 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 um i guess the other i mean do you count snow in that yeah that's yeah that's snow. that's annual precipitation that's watering your lawn yeah okay. yeah yeah okay yeah 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 okay so you're a lot drier than i thought thought you guys would have been yep yep yeah so we're, we're i mean we're, we live in that area where we we're heavily dependent upon um you know pivot irrigation flood irrigation um, we have some, some subsurface drip irrigation that's made its way into, into the area. Um, but I, if you're, if you're a dry land farmer and, and out here in this neck of the woods, you are, you are definitely just at, you're at the, uh, at the whim of mother nature. You know I mean? There's times where you can go out and they'll get 50 bushel wheat or 50 bushel wheat, 50 bushel corn. And right. might, but the next year we get a lot of rain you might get. You might get 150 bushel corn, right. you know, so it just depends on, totally depends on the weather. So talk a little bit about the crops in your area and what that looks like. So the crops that we, uh, the crops that we grow in this area, our predominant crop is wheat. Uh, so we grow wheat, oats, barley, they're canola. We grow a lot of canola down what here kind again, seasonally. Hey, Tim, what kind of wheat do you guys grow down there? Uh, we would grow what comparable to yours we would grow a spring wheat okay we don't have any, we don't have any red wheats down here all our wheats whilst we call them winter wheats they're actually a spring wheat and they're a white right. they're a white wheat 
Yep. Okay. So a um, lot of our wheats are very high, again, depending on the season, but high-protein wheats. So, um, and it's got a lot to do with our dry finish. Right. Uh, cotton, we grow a lot of, uh, we grow a lot of cotton. Um, we're sort of midway, we're one of the middle, middle valleys, um, and our cotton is predominantly uh, flood irrigated. Okay. So we do have some guys working on sub, uh, sub drip uh, irrigation, but not many. Just And I think it's got a lot to do with the cost to set that right. up. Right, yeah. Very expensive to set that up. So a pretty um, expensive thing to do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you can be, you can be then sort of locked into that. Yeah, right. So, That's a big yeah, investment yeah. you don't just walk away from. You got to try and try and try to make it work. So make it pay. That's right. Yeah. The guys that are doing it very successful at, at, at doing it, they um, yeah. they punch out some uh, some good yields. So, um, yeah, our, our dry land or our um, – and very, very rarely do we do any dry land cotton. It's just um, it's it would be one in six or eight years that you would even contemplate doing a dry land uh, cotton crop. In this area, um, yields of cotton, we will go anywhere from 10 bales up to 13, 14 bales a hectare. Okay. So it's, uh, it's, it's quite, yeah, it's quite a yielding, uh, a high yielding crop and they've come a yeah, long way in the last 10 years. Yeah, that is pretty good. So 13 bells per hectare, that would be roughly just easy math, say it was 14. So you're looking at... What five, five to five and a half bells per acre, roughly? That sound about right. Yeah, that that'd be about that'd be pretty yeah. close. Yeah, maybe soil six and yeah. a half. I guess so. Yeah, that's pretty cut. Yeah, that, yeah, that is. <clears throat> yeah. So okay, outstanding. Um, and we also have a lot of uh, mixed farmers. So a lot of the guys that are growing small grains, dry land small grains, uh, are also running sheep and cattle. Okay. So, I was at a guy's place yesterday, and he has eighteen thousand sheep that he's got right. this year. So, that's my people. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> that that is my people. Like, uh, my very next question there is: is what, what's the what's the sheep sitch look like in your neck of the woods? From a boy over here, yeah, a, a lot cooler yeah, than yeah. it does up here. I know that. <laughs> Yeah, and that's you know there's in that area there's quite a few um, big operations that are running you know between those numbers up into the thirty thousand mark. In, a lot of merinos, right? So, a lot of merinos, but there's been a, there's there's um, a bit of a shift away from merinos. Um, uh, too. People are running dorpers. Yeah. Oh, there we Is go. Is that what you have? Yeah. Yep. yeah. 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 So, and, but, and I think the reason, dorper razor. Yeah, yeah. The, so is that like is that similar to like a Doppler radar? Is that the same thing or is that Dorper? Oh, Dorper. Do- Doppler. Okay. Sorry. I'm, <laughs> sorry, dude. I, tell you. <laughs> um, I think that's it, because um wool price, the, the, the money's coming out of out of wool and the cost of production. So um, where the money is, especially with sheep, is um in first cross um, lambs, uh, and also to uh, in the Dorper sheep being predominantly meat sheep. That's where the money right. is. Yep. Now, are those there's a lot of white dorper down there, right? Not necessarily all blackhead. No, they're all the dorpers I've seen are all are all white. All I've white. Not seen any black? 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's well, what I very, thought. very few black. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Black heads. Yep. Because mm-hmm. the they call those the royal white white dorpers, and they were developed in part in Australia. So. <laughs> I, I got. I had to wake myself up for a second. We were talking about sheep. Not <laughs> <laughs> happening there. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Now, there's that. That is a big part of of uh, of agriculture. There, I went to South Africa one time, and we went to a uh, the Nampo Farm Show, and to go walk through a farm show where everything was geared towards from the livestock perspective was geared mainly towards sheep was, I mean, it was, it was kind of cool. Cause they had these, uh, you just walked through one of my dreams every night, buddy. That's <laughs> they, it. They had, <laughs> welcome. they had a, uh, they had a, uh, uh, what was it like a like a stock trailer that yeah was, that double deck trailer yeah you sent me pictures I'm like look at this thing do you put like sheep down here you got sheep on the top <laughs> you got sheep everywhere and it was uh it was it was a very neat deal but it was uh coming from from the United States and setting into uh where if you go to a a farm show and you see like a booth centered around sheep oh you're like be lucky whoa what yeah. is this what's this guy doing over here yeah. It was it was like the, the complete opposite way around. You go like there was one booth centered towards beef production. Right. <laughs> everything else, everything else was was cattle production or you know some wild game farm or whatever it was. But it's a it's definitely a it's a different atmosphere and a different mix when you start looking at how all of those things kind of play together. Yeah, it is, and and I think that's um that's what gets us through. Because we live in such a we do live in a, what we call a dry climate. Um, uh, that's what gets because the guys don't have all their eggs in one basket. So yeah, right. usually, yeah. when the uh, when the grain market's down, the livestock market's up, and vice versa. And that's what gets them gets them through. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Because it's, it's just too risky to have everything in one. We do have we do have some um, large corporate places that are that are purely cropping. We do have some large um, family farms which are which are purely cropping. Um, but we also have some large family farms that have their finger in every pie, and that's yep. just purely risk management tool. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That that's uh, we. It's the same thing we see out here. I mean, we have cattle production, and we have you know we'll have one guy that'll be. In cattle production, edible beans, corn, alfalfa, um, you know, we we sugar sugar beets, beets, you know, whatever. I mean, they might be doing five or six different things all at the same time, and you know, it goes back to that risk management plan you've got and what that looks like. And obviously, if you're all in one one place, you know, some guys are really vertically integrated too. When you start looking at a feedlot operation and they're growing their their corn and what have you to to be more of that. Um, you know, I'm really raising corn to feed the cows that I'm that I'm really raising. That's kind of, right. kind of what we see happening. Well, and you used to have in the U.S. You used to have every farm had some livestock. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. back in the even to the 70s, 80s, everybody had some hogs. They had some cows. They farmed. You know, they had a little bit of everything. And nowadays, you got livestock guys, you got crop guys, and you got a small margin in the middle that does both. Right on. Yeah. 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 All right, so let's let's jump into the crux of what we're talking about here. And if we're going to do this, we've got to be able to to do this right here because this is what we have. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. So what we've got going on right now is we've got 
we got Tim on here. And what we're really going to focus on today is what, what our customers actually look like and what those customer breakdowns are starting to turn into. So talking with Tim before we actually got started with this whole thing was the difference, the difference in, in how the perception of machinery looked, right? So in the United States, if you have a uh, 7,000-hour machine traded in, the first thing the customer asks you is what's been done to it right? and what's wrong with it, right? right? Because it's Australia and everything's backwards. If it's a 500-hour machine, the customer's asking, what the hell's wrong with it? <laughs> so, so, Tim, talk a little See, bit about, your, about how your market is and, and what that looks like. So our market, um, yeah, our market is if we have a tractor with really low hours on it, um, yeah, people are going to be quite sceptical about that. Um, and I think it's got a lot to do with the with our uh, – there's a couple of things that play into that is our, is our climate and the fact that we don't have year on year on year. Um, and also, too, there's not the government incentives, um, generally speaking, to be flipping gear over all the time. And the cost of the gear, especially down down this way. Um, so our sweet spot, really, for row crop tractors, um, is really between that sort of two to four thousand hours would be our really sweet spot. Um, you know, people aren't going to ask too many questions about what it is because that's you know that's about where people trade them. Um, you know, like I said earlier before, if we had a tractor with under 500 hours, people would be very sceptical of it. What's what's going on with it? What's wrong with it? So, and then when we roll into the four-wheel drive tractors, um, uh, and we see quite a few out this way, um, you know, they're anywhere from sort of 3,000 to six, 7,000. Um, uh, we can also, we've seen them into, you know, into 7,000 hour mark um, with not too many dramas at all. What about uh, combines? What's kind of the sweet spot in the like separator Ooh, separator hours on combines? Yeah, combines is really um, anywhere from five hundred to a thousand hours um, with separator hours. Uh, however, we see again because of our variable climate, um, we see a lot of combines that are getting blown out, um, and they're sort of fifteen hundred to they can be around that fifteen hundred to two thousand hour mark. So. Yeah, it being right hours. So we're pretty similar there. Right. Very similar. Right. So when you look at <clears throat> when you're looking at your 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 new customers that are buying the new machines, when you're looking at those guys, what how many hours a year on a on a average operation, how many hours a year on on a combine, on a on a tractor? I mean, if you're putting five to seven thousand hours before you trade it in, is that a is that five years worth of work? Is that three years worth of work? I mean, when you start looking at those hour breakdown, how's that? How's that look? So it really, it really varies. So it varies between our our cotton growers or our irrigators, as opposed to our dry land guys. And then again, inside that, it really depends on years as well. So it depends on water availability because some years we've got. Uh, the last two years we've been running on hundred percent allocation. So guys are going hell for leather. Putting lots of hours on the tractors. We never have to worry about that. Allocation. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you guys run on full allocate, like groundwater, full allocation yeah. groundwater. Yeah, absolutely. Hundred yeah, percent year on year. Yeah. See, even our groundwater. So we have irrigation out of groundwater and river water. 
um, and both of those alloc- uh, work on an allocation scheme. So, yep. uh, so again, it depends. But um, combines, roughly two fifty separator hours we work on per year. Tractors again could be anywhere from two fifty to five six hundred hours a year. It really depends on whether they're a dryland guy or they're an irrigation guy. Gotcha. Okay. So the one thing here that we're that we're really looking at, and, and Aaron jumping here on this, is how those lines of delineation are starting to line up with with your uh, with your customers, right? So you got the guys that always buy new, and you've got the guys that always buy the first trade, the uh, you know the the mm-hmm. uh, second, third trade, so on and so forth, all the way through your washout cycle. What that looks like. The one thing that's different now than say back in 2012. When we had a when we had a big run up in, in commodity prices, I mean, you're talking 2012. Australian wheat was 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 a big deal back in, in 2012, right? I mean, it was a pretty high volume, and you had plenty of good value for your wheat. You had a lot of stuff going on. The difference between then and now is that we had guys that would just come in and buy a brand new tractor, and that was just a one off deal, and they would do that. You know, they would come and buy. I'm not saying that's not happening now. But what what we're seeing not happen now is there is we're selling you know seven fifty corn right now you know seven dollar fifty cent corn and there's the new buyers are buying new the first generation used buyers are buying that one to three year old machine the the second generation guy is buying the you know the four to seven year old machine the third guy is still buying the the eight to 10 plus. 10, well, and then you get the fifth guy that's like, you know, the, the 10 plus, you know, how whatever that comes down to and what that looks like. That mix that you see happening in your area, if you're going from brand new to 5,000 hours on a tractor, how's that washout cycle look? So really only our washout cycle. So we'll have our we'll have our, our new buyer. Okay. And then we'll have our second second tier buyer that'll buy that 5,000 hour tractor. Gotcha. And very, very – so we only really have two cycles on that. And then we might see that tractor come back in at – we might see it come back in at 8. We might see it come back in at 10. But that's about it. It doesn't really go any further. Okay. So from a reconditioning standpoint, like the yearly – these customers are bringing in these different machines – what what's the what's the rebuild cycle look like on a tractor? I mean, is it at eight thousand hours, nine thousand hours? They're rebuilding the engine, transmission, differentials, the whole overhaul type of deal, or is it when it gets to that point they kind of throw it away and they go get a new one? How how's that work? So with the second tier buyer, once it gets, some of those guys will just continually run those tractors. Like I've seen Magnum tractors come through our shop with twenty thousand hours on them. Wow. And they've just rebuilt the components, right. um, and they'll they'll continue to hang on to them. Um, so they'll either make a decision whether they continue to run that machine, and then they'll add another five thousand hour machine, or depending on the season, they might grab a uh, they might grab a a very low hour machine, like two thousand hour, and add into their fleet. But very rarely do they buy new. Some of those guys do buy new. Again, it depends on the government incentives and also to the interest rates at what right. we can. Um, that that plays a big part on, it. and that sometimes converts some of those traditional tier two buyers into becoming a, a tier one buyer. 
Gotcha. So um, when that the guy that buys that five thousand hour tractor, Tim, he just doesn't trade. Again, it just depends. Some of them will trade, and that's when you'll start to see them come in at sort of around about that eight thousand hour mark, eight nine to even ten thousand hour mark, um, and obviously they're priced accordingly. Um, as a dealer, will we might encourage them to sell it privately, which there is a is a market for those sorts of things, you know, as a second, third, fourth tract of someone, or we'll uh, we'll put it through auction. Gotcha. That was my next question, and you beat me to a good, mm. good segue. Auction. What what does the auction market look like in Australia? So the auction market is nowhere near as strong as what it is in the in the uh, in the US. Uh, we don't have we don't have that wholesale and market you guys talk about we don't really have that just because our market is not big enough and right. we don't have the volume of customers um it's very sporadic so um i mean of everything that comes to australia whether it's john deere case ih new holland the the, the big brands we only account for four percent of their world market um of equipment so we're we're really a small player right. we're big in area we're really a small player when it, when you when you're talking numbers. Gotcha. Okay. So um, so the auction the the ag auction market is starting to emerge. We're starting to see dealers um, that are using um, that are using auction houses um, in Australia. We've got access. We've got Ritchie Brothers. Um, some guys use Ritchie Brothers. We've got uh, we've got Pickles, which is a big family owned um, auction company in Australia. It's in every state, um, and we've got the um, Mannheim, which is I think it's a, a, a branch of Cox Auto, um, and then we've also got a lot of our stock and station agents who look after livestock and those sorts of things. They'll actually do online clearing sales and things like that because they have the relationship with those um, with those customers firsthand. Huh, that's cool. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Mm. So, so. Like here, we've got the what we call a quote unquote hobby farmer, and that that person is the guy that or gal that <clears throat> they've got the they might have you know they got a smaller operation, and when I mean smaller, like they've got a hundred acres, maybe maybe five or six hundred acres that they under farm. five for sure, yeah, and and they've mm-hmm. got the job in town still, you know they've got fifty to one hundred and fifty, maybe two hundred cows, something like that, where they kind of monitor those kind of things. Is there a market like that where you have that that secondary, um, that secondary buyer, but they also have a of an an off farm job that that makes enough money <laughs> to allow them <laughs> to, to support the hobby to, to support the hobby? <laughs> is there is there yeah, is there look, a, we do like that. Is that does that happen? <clears throat> yeah, we do, and that's um that's an emerging market, um, especially in the in the town where I live, Dubbo. Dubbo um, has about thirty five thousand people um so not a we call it a city uh it's not a big city compared to to you guys um and it is so we draw a lot of people come to dubbo dubbo is like a hub west of here the next town the next major town would be broken hill which everybody knows where broken hill is it's about 800 k's west of dubbo so we draw a lot of people into dubbo to come and do their business um so it's become we've got all the banking, all the legal, all the um, all the accountants, 
Um, there's a few di- um, ag dealerships. There's chemical supply companies, all based in Dubbo. You're, um, you're kind of a big hub there for a big yeah, re- for a big region. It is, it is, and and it's and we've also got a regional um, sale sale yard here in Dubbo, which draws uh, livestock from as far away as the Queensland border. Um, so there's a lot of people. Dubbo's becoming a growing place, and as it grows, we're getting those fringe or the hobby farmers that are working in ag but want to be doing ag on the weekends. Right. So yes, we do have that. That is an emerging market, and in the last probably. I would say the last five to eight years, um, we've seen a big push um, in compact tractors, what we call compact tractors, um, from uh, obviously ourselves, KSIH, and also to the John D dealer. So, yeah. Yeah. So, put that in perspective, what he's talking about, it, it'd be like he lives in Lincoln and then Scott's Bluff is the next place. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's. That's a that's that's a long, that's a long ways. ways and and his town probably is, more than a tank of gas to make that run. Yeah, and yeah. his town's smaller <laughs> than Grand Island, right? So yeah. that's yeah. that's it, man. That's crazy. That's absolutely nuts. there is there is a few towns between, but they're not they're not by any means major towns. So right, yeah, right. yeah. That would be mm. wow. If you're from Kansas, that'd be like going from uh, you know like Wichita to. Sharon Springs. Well, we're probably further Sharon, than that. Oh, Sharon. Sharon, Kansas. I always get those two messed up. Sharon Springs is not that far away. Sharon, <laughs> Kansas is on the other side. Liberal. Be like going to Liberal. Well, there you, know. you go. I don't think it'd be that far. It'd be like going from. It'd be further than that. It'd, it'd be, be like, like Wichita damn near Kansas City to Goodland. Yes. Yeah. Wichita to Denver. That'd be. Right. That'd be a similar thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be about. Yeah, that'd I'm be about. Right. right now yeah. that I got my Kansas geography that jacked up. I apologize to all my Kansas listeners. <laughs> all three of them. God bless. They are pissed. <laughs> all right. So, future wise, let's talk about that a little bit, right? We got all this technology coming in and all those things that are playing into how things are rolling through and all that kind of stuff. As you look at your customer base right now, how's technology playing into? Is that going to speed up this, you know, I need to trade my 5,000-hour tractor earlier now so I get some more technology or do I just need to get more tractors? I mean, what, how's that playing into this whole conversation? Um, so Australia has always been really early adapters to technology. So back when auto steer was first, um, first came, Australia really adapted uh, quite well to that. Um, and it was to do with uh, our access to labour um, because we don't have so many people working here. Um, and also, too, it's about because I guess our soils are so poor and we only have so much of the farming country that we have, we're trying to drive every last or squeeze every last bit out of it that we right. possibly can and be as effective as what we can. Um so, yeah, Australian farmers have always been very early adapters of, of anything that's going to save them money or make them more efficient. And I think you're right. I think as the technology and that, that part of tractors is just, is just um, moving so quickly um, compared to what it did 10 years ago, uh, you know, every new model update and every new software update, it's just like, you know, you need specialists in your dealership to look up to be looking after that side of things. Um, it's one thing to sell the metal, 
um, but to be able to keep up and sell the technology that 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 enhances that metal um, is is another thing. And I think as time goes on, we're going to see people are going to they're going to come accustomed to that technology, and it's going to be like auto steer. Like when the auto steer is not working in a tractor, it's like machine down. We can't do anything. You know, you've got a right. steering wheel that you can drive right. it with. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, we're going to get to that. I think we're going to get to that stage. Um, that, uh, yeah. And, and it's interesting because I just don't know how this driverless tractor um, is going to to play out and, and when we're going to see those things because obviously Deer's got a machine. Um, Case IH has got a concept machine as well. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be, uh, going to be, very interesting to see how it it'll be. Out. It'll be interesting to see how how Case's um, relationship with with Raven plays out, right? Yes. So, yeah. so they've got that Smart Ag. You know, Smart Ag's part of Raven now. They got the Dot mm-hmm. um, uh, tractor that that's truly autonomous. Like yeah, hundred percent robot. And mm. in an area, especially like in Australia, where these wide open spaces where they can just kind of go and run, um, it will definitely be interesting to see how that and and you mentioned earlier same here as in the u.s it is it is totally um so you know labor availability driven marketplace right that's one thing i've always i've I've said i don't know if i've actually said this podcast or not but the biggest reason why i think agriculture is, is such a leading edge when it comes to technology is that there's less and less people coming into the marketplace labor-wise. Oh, absolutely. You know I mean? you know? so yeah, yeah, that's right. They have yeah. to come up with, I mean, you start looking at at like high-value crops, you know, vegetables and fruits and those kind of things. They're kind of leading the way in, you know, electric electrified tractors, you know, autonomous this. Yep, lots of robotics. That. I mean, a lot of robotics fall into that mix. Are you seeing something similar to that? I mean, if you get closer to the coast where you have more temperate climates where you have maybe a more of a year-round growing cycle and those kind of things, are you seeing more yeah, of that we, kind of stuff pop up? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, that's right, especially in those high-intensive crops, um, vegetable crops, edible crops, those sorts of things, uh, time-sensitive crops that need to be harvested into market ASAP, um, and that happens painful. Um we also have, there is a guy um, who is in southwest, no, southeast Queensland. He's got um, uh, like autom- totally automatic machines, like automatic sprayers. Um, I think it's called Swarm Swarm Farm or Swab Farm or something like that. Um, and he's playing around with the concept of having smaller machines, but more of them, completely... Um, that are completely automatic. Right. So it's yep. just a matter of sh- shifting those machines because our mindset at the moment is to go, especially the areas that we have, is bigger. So one right. guy can do what five guys used to do, but this guy's right. theory is let's have lots of small ones mm-hmm. and we can still get the because we're not tying anybody up because they're completely autonomous vehicles. Right. Yeah. So and, and that was designed completely from the ground up here in Australia. So yeah. which That's- is pretty pretty awesome. That is awesome because mm-hmm. Casey talks about that quite a bit with that's what we're eventually going to see. We're going to get so big that we can't do anything else with it. And then boom, yeah. lots of little bitties. Lots of little bitty ones running around because it makes more sense. I mean, why spend the money to get one, you know, 
$700,000 machine where you can get five or six of them that, that, that kind of do the same thing. And, and you can, you can sparse those things out as you need them, you know, and, you know, you put seven of them in the same field and you get a lot of stuff done, but you have to take seven of those and put them out in seven different fields and let them just kind of do their thing. So yeah, that's, that, that's right. Yeah. See, yep. and I, I like the video of that 240 foot air seater running in Australia with the two track tractors pulling it. That's more yeah, my yeah, style. Yeah. With the tree, <laughs> tree right in the middle of it. Oh, yeah. Right. One tree. <laughs> I do like I do like that, but it's a it is a nightmare to shift that stuff around, and especially oh, yeah, trees. Trees are a are a big thing, and uh, our government doesn't really like us removing trees. So, um, yeah, it's can you imagine turning that thing around, trees? <laughs> yeah. When I you saw know. that, when I saw that tractor, the two two tractors pulling one implement, I thought obviously one. The, that is has to be has to be um, controlled by an RTK network, right? Oh, absolutely. Because even if even if your one machine says you're both going seven point six miles an hour or whatever it is that you're playing at, you're you're doing that that all the way through the field. Could you imagine the turn row? Right. I mean, holy crap! Yeah, that thing was two hundred forty feet wide. <laughs> you're turning that stupid thing around. I mean. That means every row unit, that row unit on the other end is going like 72 miles. Oh, yeah. Well, not only that, but when you're you're sitting here at the steering wheel and you're that far off your mark. Oh, yeah. You translate that 120 feet that direction yeah. and it's way off. Way off. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, the guys, um, uh, so that would be, that's not that far, what I would say, not far from here in Dubbo. That, that operation's probably four or five hundred Ks from here, which I wouldn't call that far away. Right. So um, it's all relative. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, we're the it's same all way. Relative. Eastern Nebraska, <laughs> yeah. 50 miles is almost yeah. an overnight trip. To us, right. it's well, I got to run over here quick and get a pop. <laughs> yeah. You got to go on the fastball game. I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so, um, well, Tim, I'll tell you what, man, this, is, this has been awesome. I, I really appreciate you listening to the podcast and, and coming on here and talking about what's going on. Um, if folks want to reach out to, uh, to, to you, Tim, and, and get more information about what it is that you're doing in Australia, or just, just pick your brain about what's going on. What's the best way to do that? Uh, the best way to do that is probably by, uh, by email. Uh, my best email is tim at 3rm.com.au. Right on, man. Well, Tim Short, man. It's awesome, dude. I'm, I'm glad you listened. About to have you back on again sometime. Absolutely. What's going on, and uh, you know when when you get to your, uh, we'll have a little check in down under. Yeah, that's right. We'll have to have you on uh, more often just to see what's going on in Australia. So, Tim, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks, Casey. Thanks, Aaron. It's um, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys, and um, I love hearing about what's happening in uh, North America as well. So, yeah, right thanks, on. guys, uh, and I look forward to coming back. Right on. So, well, good deal. Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. You can also go to Moving Iron LLC and get all the information about the Moving Iron Summit coming up in Nashville, Tennessee, September 6, 7, 8. Tim, you should check it out, man. Get on get on a plane. Come on over. Check it out, man. It'd be good time. <laughs> <I'll take> it. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great. We, do, we, need, we have a guy from Greece that comes every so often. So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, wow. 
So, uh, so you should check that out, man. But uh, if you're interested in doing that, go to the website and all the information is there. If you need more information, send me an email at moving iron podcast and moving iron podcast.com. And I will send you all the information you need. Aaron, best way to get hold of you is uh, pretty active on the Twitterverse at AA Ron Fintel. I'm also on Facebook and call or text me, text preferred 308 760 1193. Right on. Also, one more thing I always forget to tell you this. Go to LinkedIn. There's a moving iron page there. Check that out. Like it, follow it, and all that fun stuff. So check that out as well. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Aaron Fennel and Tim Short. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Axon Tire is going to have more tips, tricks, and client advice throughout the year and in September at the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville. If you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving higher in the 21st century.